0: everyone hello welcome to part two or i guess the next part the sequel of our podcast episode with zane so um nico Zane, how y'all doing today
1: fantastic
0: doing great Rupert, thank you Josh. yeah quick, i want to ask how is the weather going on like where y'all at because back here at home um today is like two degrees and i'm freezing
1: <laughs>
0: well, we've been experiencing
2: We've been experiencing quite a heat wave in Boston. And by heat wave I mean fifty degrees, but that's next pretty week, good. It's, it's gonna go down to like zero degrees. Yeah. Oh.
1: Today the weather today the weather hit eighty-six degrees here. I
2: hate. You. <laughs> I,
0: hate you. Well, I guess
2: that's Florida for you. Yeah.
1: And I was kinda surprised. When I came from Tampa to Orlando, it's it was a, it's actually warmer in Orlando than it is in Tampa. So I mean it's like forty minutes away, isn't it? It's a, it was, um, it was two hours, so,
0: but Keep yeah, we're five minutes away. What's up? I said like,
2: you've been traveling all around, haven't you? Yeah. From place to place, that's, that's good. Yeah,
1: but let's get into our investing talk. Yes. So um, what's our first topic? Let's start I'll with work. real estate.
2: Yes, the last part we left off was, um, kind of talking about how the housing market is getting affected. And mm-hmm. uh, just my two cents on, on what I believe in the housing market is currently we're in such a crazy economic disaster right now where the bubble is constantly growing, 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 deflating a slightly and growing more, deflating. And mm-hmm. uh, we did reach once again, the US debt ceiling of 31.4 trillion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that, there's probably gonna be some more adjustments from the Federal Reserve Um, which can impact the interest rates, borrowing and spending of individual companies as well as the housing market. So, I mean, I I just saw in Massachusetts, the average price for buying a home has gone up by by 0.5 to 1% than it was in the previous year. And that's just going to continue to grow. So imagine putting down a mortgage for a million dollar house. You're paying every year, even the interest fees that you're paying in for every month about annuity is is going up like crazy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other interesting thing
1: I saw recently was I was looking over um I believe it was like earning I, th- I guess it was I think it was earning statements from a from a, one of the home builder companies and their numbers were down like some of their numbers like for the different ways they make money were down like 70 to 80%. So these a lot of these home building companies are definitely struggling out there.
2: Yeah. I mean, well, as the cost of raw materials also goes up, building a home is also going to be more expensive, mm-hmm. but financing these homes through through a mortgage or or through a bank is also going to be increasingly difficult as banks are more reluctant to give out these loans as well as demanding higher payments. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to, you know, if, if you are in real estate and, and using it as, as a profit-making stream of income, perhaps the break-even point is going to be so far stretched out where it's not exactly worth going into real estate right now and looking. Well, into-
1: okay. There's one thing I want to bring up though. So I was talking to uh, one of the guys, I don't, have you seen the app out there? It's being advertised. It's an app called Fintor.
2: I think I've heard of it. Yes.
1: Okay. That's like a, it's, it's almost like it looks like um, it looks like the real estate version of Robin hood pretty much. That's pretty much what they're trying to do where you can buy like fractional shares. Well, anyways, I was talking to the guy who, I don't know if he's a co-founder or whatever he was, he was, he works for them. And he said that the difference though, is even if we're going into a recession and times are tough, like they are right now, some real estate properties are still going to maintain their value and you're really going to only see some prices plummet if they're like a higher end property. So there is that part of it too. Some properties will maintain their value better than others.
2: I think it depends on one, the location of, of the actual property is yeah. a big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, some locations are appreciating like crazy, even with, if it's in the same city, a block mm-hmm. in, in one really populated place, or if there's like really big buildings or, or prestigious companies, this actually happens a lot in San Francisco where you have all these big companies like DoorDash and Uber, yeah. uh, but one block is going to be way more expensive when you can get, get something down the street that mm-hmm. is gives you the same real-time value but the actual dollar value of that is going to be a couple more million dollars than than what it's actually worth yeah yeah
1: at at the same time though with those cities you're talking about let's say like san francisco is one example where a lot of those corporations that were in those cities where pre-pandemic people the employees had to live in those cities to work there and meanwhile, now what's a point that Josh brings up all the time is that people can do these jobs remotely now. So the demand for living in those cities with those corporations are, is not as high as it was three or four years ago.
2: I did actually see an article about that a couple of weeks ago that the, the demand for more rural locations is going up. And that's actually giving more profitability and boosting the growth, at least in, in, in smaller towns. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of like they're making like new towns, kind of. Yeah. 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 A lot of rural areas. They're building. Shockingly enough, though, the theoretically on paper, the prices in the city should be going down, but conversely, they've actually been going up. Mm -hmm. And I personally think feel like that's might be due to factors that are outside of of, of real estate, more more towards federal policy and and fiscal policy as well. Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah, because I feel like those cities almost have like pricing power because like, let's say New York City, for example, there's only one New York City, you know, that's like a lot of a bunch of people want to live in New York City, but it can only hold so many people. Um, The other thing I thought was interesting, I heard this on another podcast, they were talking about when employees relocate to other cities or other towns, does that mean they should still be earning the same amount of money as what they were earning before? Because it was that was that baked into their salary of them having to live in San Francisco for example
2: that's a good I point. think I think it really depends on how much work they're getting done at the end of the day and how big of an asset they are to the company mm-hmm. and this actually does get a little bit into inequality of pays in the workplaces which is a huge problem now especially mm-hmm. based off uh, uh gender and, and race mm-hmm. uh, but you know you do have even if someone is, is of the same demographic you do have people to people that are getting slightly different ranges of salary. And you even have people that are, are more junior than, than some of the seniors when they come to getting paid even more. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's it's up to what kind of deal they're making with HR with 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 you know how much work they're getting done. But you know, it it depends on the kind of company, and the leadership it has. For example, Elon Musk's version of Twitter, having the employees come work at the office, even building a hotel in the Twitter headquarters. Uh, know that that is one of the baselines uh, of working at twitter now but there are some other companies out there right now at least where it's solely based off whatever you put in whatever you get out yeah and what i've i've also heard about this let's
1: say in in uh, reference to the twitter situation the employees you know when elon musk got there he was firing a bunch of the employees I heard that for employees like that, if, if the, the ones that were fired from Twitter, when they're back on the street looking for new jobs, they ha- they should have ton of they should have a ton of different offers from other tech companies looking to hire them. So even if Elon Musk doesn't want to give them the best of conditions, they should have a fine, you know, they should have an easy time going to find a another good job.
0: Yeah, like I agree, but the that can also come on the side of like um well, I'm looking for a job. It's not always easy, like for some people to, to get a new job as well. So maybe like. But, you know, hard yeah, to, like I, I, I and, agree. Uh, I agree
1: if you're if it's me or you. But if we're talking about someone who worked at Twitter, I think it's a different story.
0: You think someone at Twitter can get like an easy job at Google just like that?
2: I think so. I mean, again, like the, the whole labor market, at least right now, there is a a surplus of labor especially with all these layoffs and uh, more and more employees, potential employees are entering the labor market. But, you know, there are times when there's actually a labor shortage and people mm-hmm. can actually be choosy as to what company they can work with, depending on what kind of benefits they get. That being said, there are those few outliers that will only settle for the best of the best and the best perks they can possibly get and will choose to be unemployed or self-employed rather than working for a company that gives them, you know, not yeah. the best benefit. Yeah. And that
1: the that labor issue is going to get worse if uh, if artificial intelligence takes more jobs away from us, too.
2: <laughs> That's also true. I mean, I was playing around with uh, the with, uh, chat GPT again this week and just the endless possibilities that you can do with it are, are completely insane. And yeah. you can actually use that kind of artificial intelligence. You can ask it a first round of questions then ask it a second round of questions based off the answer the artificial intelligence gives you from the first round. Mm -hmm. constantly have the ai run through it over and over and over and over again finally Mm -hmm. you get this masterpiece of a plan or a work or or just anything you need to proceed through your day and i feel like there was actually i was doing this in one of my classes actually where i was so reliant on the chat gpt and the server completely crashed Uh and i was completely lost for like five to ten minutes (laughs) i remember i got cold calls for one of the questions to participate and I was like, oh shoot, the, the chat GPT is down. What am I gonna do? Now I need to actually use my brain and, and
1: compute this. Yeah. At the same time, it's also cool to see, like, it's I think it's it's not just about chat GBT, it's also about these other websites and programs that are doing things like you know, they can create like album artwork or they can create um, you know, there's all these different things that the AI bots. can do. Yeah, there's so many different things. So I mean, that also brings us into like, what I'm I'm interested in seeing what the next revolution of jobs is gonna look like. Like, is it just gonna be about coding and computers or is there some other options out there?
2: I'd say we already are in the fourth revolution now, because the first one was about steam power and mechanical. The second mm-hmm. one was about using electricity and how to harness it. The third one was more about IT and and utilizing it into security applications. Now this fourth revolution is is based off augmented reality um AI uh biodiverse bio biochemical biodiversity. Well,
1: okay, I guess you're right. I mean, I think it comes down to what degree of automation is in each stage because let's say let's say this in the internet stage like yeah, we have the internet and it does stuff for us but it still requires a human to come on here and do some work which 20 years from now I don't know if we can say the same thing because Some things get so automated now with different types of software that there almost is no need for a human to intervene if the software can completely do it on its own.
2: I say what defines a revolution in that case then, and I'll go back to a really old example was when cars first came out, the Mm -hmm. demand for horse carriages and, and horse riders went down completely because, and then the demand for learning how to drive a car went up exponentially so the same thing is going to happen with artificial intelligence the demand for some of these jobs that can be automated uh, you can even see this with autonomous cars as well and uber drivers which will be a thing very very soon Mm -hmm. but you're going to need more people to operate and maneuver these ais and more people to go into the r d of the ai and how to expand it yeah and you know there's going to be less and less people needed for jobs that the ai can just take over in my opinion, mm-hmm. that is what constitutes a revolution because it changes the whole educational system mm-hmm. that our society needs in order to fill in the gaps and bridge into what is actually going to be pushing us forward. And um, another interesting thing,
1: Kathy Wood has has brought this up for a couple of years now. She yeah. always talks about when – um, what's the best way to describe it? Like when new technologies come out like this, it's a deflationary pressure on the economy. So that's also interesting too because that's going to help with our inflation problem. And she also says it's going to create more jobs. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out too.
0: My best friend is a robot. (laughs) I think that's going to be the future, but um, besides that, you guys want to go on to the next topic?
2: Yeah,
1: besides our uh, real real estate, let's talk about uh, virtual real estate.
2: Yeah, Um, so there is um, the option and this was, Primarily predominant when cryptocurrency was was in its golden years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you could buy. I want to get into NFTs first because this is how I think about, it, especially with Ethereum and, and OpenSea, the marketplace mm-hmm. for for these NFTs. Um, but you know, as the coin was doing so so well, and and the the actual uh, the means of exchange for for this, for these coins, I mean, you know, where they're accepted, uh, made the coin very very profitable. So right now, because it's very hard to, for example, to go into a supermarket and buy a loaf of bread with a Bitcoin. So the inherent value of a Bitcoin is technically zero in Mm -hmm. in some places, but when it was accepted on this open sea marketplace, uh, you could buy digital real estate for millions and millions of dollars. Um, that would, that would appreciate exponentially. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was another form of an asset you could add into your portfolio. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: Josh, do you remember, um, so a
1: while ago i want to say at least a year ago i downloaded this app called forgot what it was called but anyways it's about
0: um upland
1: i I think it's upland yeah yeah so upland was the app that i came across and um it's it's the same thing it's digital real estate pretty much and p how you said people had like a million dollars plus worth of digital assets on there and they some of them also paid you rent too so i put in like 30 bucks just to experiment with it i bought a couple properties and um i mean i think the cool thing is like when you go into the app you can click on real properties like i can buy a house in nashville and it'll show me what the house looks like on the app so i thought that part was cool too
2: i think it it definitely is 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 an asset similarly to to utilizing these technologies to make our lives easier um Mm -hmm. but you know just the possibilities of, of nfts and, and even the metaverse where you can buy a virtual plot of land that can appreciate and depreciate depending on its location mm-hmm. creating a whole uh I, I, what do you what do you call it the your um your emoji? no 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 uh, it, it's it's something it's it's what represents you in in, in this the day avatar moment. the avatar yes mm-hmm. um so you essentially live your entire life and just imagine with all these other emerging technologies like augmented reality Virtual reality that actually puts you in this world. So, so imagine, imagine having the AI run your your physical world, and then you're just escaping into this augmented reality world, or or. or it's just like world. the one movie, um, um, How Ready do you play? Player One. Yeah, just like that movie. Yeah, okay. it reminds me more of like Black Mirror and just the whole craziness of the technology of what it can actually do, and just where the world is going in the next ten to fifteen years. You know what is going to happen tomorrow. And it's so interesting how we live in this generation, how like, how it's all possible and what can even be possible after that.
1: Okay. Let me get your opinion on something. So uh, this is, I want to talk about Facebook's role in this and how they're building out the metaverse and how they're putting so much emphasis on the fact that the metaverse is really going to be like a trillion dollar opportunity. But I was, I heard some guys the other day talking about, they think they were talking about how the metaverse shouldn't be, or it won't be as big of a deal because people will not want, like, people will not want to be, like, almost like how you said, like, people want to get away almost and escape their regular life to be in this virtual world. And they're like, the the guys were saying, well, I don't think the majority of adults are going to want to do that. It'd really only be for kids. But I I feel like I can see it becoming as big as gaming. And then, I don't know. I think that would pretty much be the end of it. But what do yeah. you guys think?
0: Yeah, real, real quick before Zango, I will say uh, with different VR headsets, those start getting more popular year after year with gaming things like that. Um I know the HTC vibe, Like each one of those things, I think they took cart. They started out like at nine hundred dollars. They keep going lower price on yeah, price. But, but that lower but, price is becoming a little bit more accessible.
1: Okay, but do you think that's? Do you think it's mainly built around just like kids playing games? Like it's more of a kids' toy, or do you think it's built more around adults? And can it be incorporated into the workforce and stuff like
0: that? I think yeah. I think um, I think actually some medical fields don't. I might be wrong, but I think some meta field, medical fields are also like incorporating VR technology into how to operate mm-hmm. with organs, different surgeries, things like that. So yeah. yeah, I still think it's we're still like early on with VR metaverse things like that, but. I, d- I definitely think it's going to be a little bit more practical use towards it instead of just kids mm-hmm. using it.
2: I think that, for one, before we even begin to talk about escaping into <laughs> the reality, is we all have human bodies that need food, <laughs> that need water, yeah. and need electricity to power our, our systems that run the Metaverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, this long list of, of necessary companies needed to survive because before we enter the metaverse, we need to be healthy and and, and, and active and and operational. Right, but right. But as we but as the metaverse does grow and we do shift in, into this digital world, if it does take off, that, that too, you know, as as more companies see the opportunities that lie in the metaverse, then the metaverse can become more mainstream. So mm-hmm. right now, maybe it'll stop it'll start as. A, a gaming field or or that early adopter kind of phase, and as more and more people and opportunities do shift in this direction, then even more opportunities and people will shift into this direction. It'll be kind of okay. like an exponential. Trend. Do you think that's possible? Do I think it's possible? Yes, I I do think it's definitely possible, but only if needs can be met, or rather, if needs can be created first and then met. So, for mm-hmm. example, if there is a, a necessary job. If you need a digital realtor, then the opportunity will be created. And there will be a job seeker going around trying to get people to become this digital realtor by creating an avatar and specializing in in, in the knowledge.
1: Yeah. But then then the question is, if you get if you get a job in the metaverse, do you get virtual money or do you get can can that can that translate into real life money?
2: I think that there will be some kind of conversion. Similarly to how crypto works, where you can exchange it into, into dollars by selling your coin and
0: mm-hmm. exchanging it for
2: actual US dollars or, or wherever in the world you are, the euro, the pound, whatever. Um, but it's like keeping a balance on in this metaverse, having, having these meta dollars is going to be another asset to your portfolio. And as long as you have liquidity between exchanging these digital dollars into real dollars, then there will be inherent value to it where you can actually, there is a an incentive to grow this digital money to turn it into actual cash. Okay.
1: And another thing with this situation is like they, one of the benefits they all, they often talk about crypto is um, how it's decentralized, right? How there's not one company or government controlling everything. Yep. Is that going to be the same for the metaverse? And, you know, what does that look like with like, is the metaverse decentralized or is there a bunch of companies working in the metaverse? In the metaverse or i can't picture how that would work
2: i say it's definitely possible for if it does become big enough then governments will of course in, intervene and and the fiat currency of the u.s dollar will become they will create their own fiat currency in the metaverse mm-hmm. uh, and and have some sort of regulations with that um but again it's too small for for governments to really get into Currently, it's just going to be run by meta and then as other companies specifically those big blue chip companies get into the metaverse then there will be slowly by slowly an incentive for more and more people to get into it okay enough people then governments will start to intervene
1: okay but but couldn't you say the same thing about social media like where does where do the big social media platforms sit as far as um, the corporation controlling the business versus the government intervening
2: what comes to mind is corporations that seek to get too large are then stopped by antitrust laws. Mm-hmm. And this, kind of, this happens actually, this is not a social media, but it's actually Google and their their whole uh, control of data. And, it's like and
1: anti-monopoly laws.
2: stuff. Anti-monopolies is going to be a big one. And I definitely do see with more antitrust laws, if the metaverse does become big enough at some point, governments are going to impose their own antitrust laws for companies to actually open up into the metaverse. Yeah. But the interesting thing is even with those laws in place, like Facebook has gone, like
1: since Facebook went public over the last decade, they've dealt with this problem tons of times. Like they violate one of the laws and worst case scenario, they might pay a billion dollars or $2 billion as a fee. But meanwhile, the company makes over a hundred billion dollars. So it doesn't, that doesn't really affect them. It's the same thing with Alibaba. Alibaba faces the same problems over there. So even with those laws in place, they pay a small fee and then things keep, you know, going the same way they always have.
2: Yes and no. They, yeah, they will. it is a small financial cost. But at some point, if there is too much of a need for the government to get involved, they could outright ban it on their government servers. <laughs> China, for example, they, they ban all types of social medias uh, that are native to the, new, the U.S. and the rest of the world.
1: That's true, and because
2: they see it as a detriment to their population and, and their economy.
1: That's true, and right. the United States is starting to ban TikTok. It looks like so
2: on government use devices, yes, mainly yeah. because of a privacy and information leak to potential Chinese. Um, uh, right, investors. right,
1: but I'm but I'm saying I think there's there's def, there's politicians out there that are that are <coughs> trying to push it a step further and get it towards and get it into where nobody in America can use TikTok. So. That would be really interesting if that happened. Because I know I'm I know how TikTok like they do like it says in their in their terms of service and everything how they can like look at all the stuff through your phone just by having the app downloaded. So there is lots of suspicious things going on with that. But
2: yeah, I mean well the way TikTok utilizes it is they they track your your cookies and, and where you go on on your website to get data for your for you page. So while the incentive behind doing that is to make your TikTok experience better, the fact that they have access to that data and someone could potentially get into that data and abuse it is, right. is mind boggling. And which is why a lot of these politicians are are, are looking in that direction to protect the, the individual rights and privacy of the people. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: possibly happening?
2: Like TikTok just one day is completely off our phone if we live in the United States. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think the app would magically delete itself, but I do see that, you know, getting into the app and then it says that the app is not permitted in your country or, you know, people would probably need to use a VPN in the United States. An example of this would be Hulu in Canada or, or other places outside of the United States where the the company itself would would detect where you are depending on your IP address and you know, if if it's allowed, you're allowed in, if it's not allowed, Okay, it gotta
1: get let me deal. let me let me ask you guys this. Let's say, um, let's say you're sitting at a table with Mark Zuckerberg, and um, he's asking you, "Do you think that we should invest?" Because I think they're planning to invest 100 billion dollars over this year and the and the course of next year into the into building up the metaverse. That's why the stock is down over 50 percent because the profitability is going to go down, but. What do you guys think? Would you say yes, let's go all in on this and this is gonna pay off, or would you say no, cut back on the spending and and uh you know be conservative with the metaverse?
2: First off, I see it's a wonderful time to buy in because why yep. Facebook went down what uh 80 percent in the, in one year, 60 to 80 oh, I
1: know it peaked at 400 and it bottomed at I wanna say a hundred, hundred yeah, and something maybe so, less like,
2: we're, 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 we're about that much percent. I do see the metaverse coming back. um, I do see if enough advances are made into it. And the if if opportunities are created, like I said, then I definitely do see it as a potential asset to our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think that the development of emerging technologies like virtual reality, augmented reality, artificial Mm -hmm. intelligence, and uh, some of the, the breakthroughs in energy, energy saving, energy consumption, then these factors in place can actually speed up the growth of the metaverse itself. And if a hundred billion dollars is going, that has potential to to create more opportunities, incentivize businesses to come on there and slowly make that change into what Mark Zuckerberg is envisioning. Because it's gonna be super
1: slow and gradual till we get to that point.
2: It is and more dollars will need to be spent. It's a long-term project. Um but it, you know, these, these things do, will take time. It's not going to just happen in 2024, 2025. It could take all the way up to 2035. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. There, that's needs what I mean to too. More, there needs to be other advancements that need to be made gradually. And
0: mm-hmm. I think right now
2: the world is really focusing on, on energy consumption and energy consumption. Green energy by 2030, a lot of these companies are, are imposing bans and, and changes into their strategies to meet that ESG score that is required now of the public. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the emerging technologies, they, they do have potential, but you know, they, they need to follow certain regulations and trends and, and stay with the economy and the opportunities they can get. Mm -hmm.
0: And hopefully for
2: soon in the next 10, some odd years,
0: maybe all the green energy stuff can be behind us, you know, but I think, why do you think that's going to happen? Well, not behind us, but you know, it's not like a main concern or issue. Yeah, we yeah, kinda, yeah. Like, went past. We kind of like beat the problem. Kinda. Yeah, it'll
2: become a new normal. I feel like, and all these kind of technologies, they, they first get again. They go through the technology adoption cycle where you have those first group of people that find this cool thing and they're like, oh, this is awesome. When to tell my friends about it, more people get onto it and more companies get onto it. Opportunities are created and slowly by slowly, the shift is starts being made. And then at there, at some point, there becomes this point where you have laggards of saying like oh i wish i got onto that i wish i could have had the opportunity because i would be so big on that platform or with that yeah. platform so you know as a lot of people going back to the metaverse or, or even green energy are, are making this change you're gonna have at some point where this becomes a new normal and people are more conservative and and are, are clinging back onto this or trying to get to what is now required mm-hmm. zane let me get
1: your opinion on something when you talk about because we've mentioned this a couple times with the whole um, what's the term for it when you go from early adopters to maturity to, to whatever? What is that process called?
2: The technology adoption stage. Okay. A technology so that, adoption cycle.
1: So what? Sometimes when I'm looking at businesses and stuff, or I'm looking at industries, I'm thinking to myself like, let's say these businesses like Coca-Cola, or let's say you're talking about I don't know alcohol business, a motorcycle business, the like Harley Davidson, Coca-Cola, Jack Daniels. These companies are at maturity, right? what i'm thinking about is do they ever face a situation where they start going down do they ever do they ever start dying out
2: yeah well so so coca-cola is and and is is a is a beverage it's a physical beverage i, I think it's very tough to to connect coca-cola into the technology adoption cycle because you know it's it's a physical Consum- Consumption of little product and mm-hmm. you know, the same thing can be said for for mcdonald's for chipotle mm-hmm. uh you know for all these other fast food companies and, and beverage manufacturing companies mm-hmm. so they are a little different they actually focus more on marketing and sustainability as they as you do create let's say you create your own brand of of uh an alcoholic beverage or, or a new juice whatever you want to call it um, something in, in the food industry, food or drink industry, mm-hmm. you know, at some, at first, when you first make it, you, you tell your friends about it, you slowly gain that traction in the market, but you need to put a lot of your spending into, uh, getting that word out and uh, making the process easier, consuming, being more friendly with how much is going into raw materials and the whole manufacturing pr- process of it. Then you need to go into your, your wholesalers. Who are you going to sell in bundles and packages? How are these wholesalers going to reach their retailers, and then how are the retailers going to go into the end consumer? So right. you 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 go through this entire marketing channel, and slowly by slowly, you also need to adjust your image with society by having a proper ESG score, being ethical uh, in your company. The leadership needs to be there. Employees need to be treated right. Um, equal opportunity must be given. Equal pay. Um, do all these factors then and then you know also seeking public funding uh, engaging with smaller companies with series a b and c funding mm-hmm. you, know, so it, teams where you, can. you know
1: in other words it's very hard to compete compete
2: with coca-cola yes because they're already established um you know they're and, considered-
1: and at the same time if the, the the brands that do start to come up like let's say Celsius is a good example or monster is a good example those companies, Coca-Cola, co- companies like Coca-Cola will buy those smaller companies out. So, but I guess my question is, do you ever, can you can you picture a uh, scenario where Coca-Cola goes out of business?
2: I do not think it is, well, I, yes, yes and no. So Coca-Cola is a unique product. Um, they have their own recipe for, for the soda that's locked into God knows how many vaults. <laughs> the the recipe is closely guarded it's kind of similar to the kfc recipe um -hmm. for kfc but they yes they they can go out of business if there is um i I, it's not going to be because consumers simply do not like the beverage anymore but maybe there can be factors like uh extremist groups that are saying no to sugary beverages um, or, or you know, staying away from soda. This change into more of a healthy lifestyle. Um, if there, I can picture
1: that, I can, I can honestly picture that because we already, we already see that a little bit to some degree. You know, over the past couple of decades, there is a little bit of a push towards
2: less sugar and healthier yeah. items yeah. and all that stuff. So.
0: More, more, more smoothies,
2: more smoothies <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, not- additionally, Coca-Cola, if it was to tarnish its public reputation. Let's say the harvesting of, of, of the uh, organic materials needed in, in the Coca Cola recipe are, are harvested unethically, or if there is word that gets out that their ESG score or, or their inclusion score is going down, then they yeah. can get a lot of backlash in the public and it can involve scandals. Um, you know, if there's yeah, more but- scandals. Oh, yeah, or a scandal
0: like they start putting cocaine back in the pop.
2: Yeah, I know, right? That, that can also happen as well. Um, <laughs> But, you know, if there it doesn't have to just be it doesn't have to just be that Like, it can be another product that is deemed unethical or if if they if their word gets out that their factories are releasing the wrong kind of gas in, in the ozone layer, then. OK, know, but hold, hold on a second. Hold on a second. So let's let's go back for a minute.
1: If you look at other companies that do things like, that, let's say, Starbucks, Nike, those are huge corporations that have been caught doing things like that over the past however many decades. And they're still in business, right? They're still thriving today. So that's where I don't like a lot. It's just, it was the same thing with Facebook. Like, yeah, these lawsuits and stuff can come up and it might hurt the reputation or they might get fined. And it, But it's going to be temporary, right? Because five or ten years later, they're back on top of their game, just like Facebook, Starbucks, Nike, Coca-Cola are all are today.
0: Or they reinvent something new. Because I doubt the tobacco industry, smoking cigarettes industry was just about over. That's a great that example. Is- yeah, these make- are
2: these are kind of companies that that really fall under the Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, yeah, sort of investing. But because so there's what, always going to be a need for it. In a hundred years from now, do I see Coca-Cola still being out there? I do. Um, the same goes for for Starbucks, for for McDonald's. Uh, these have become part of our culture, essentially. Um, yeah. You know, you have you do have some companies like that. Um, like Google, like Apple. And Facebook is trying to do that with the metaverse. Tesla has been up and down.
1: Okay. So, but going back to my question about the, the cycle, the business cycle. Yeah, well, I, see, I don't know. Is it a business cycle or technology cycle?
2: It's technology.
1: Technology. Okay, so, so
2: That's why it's the, very hard to connect this kind of cycle into like a consumable like food.
1: With those restaurant companies. Okay. That makes sense. That, that makes, makes sense. sense. Okay.
2: However, the best way to connect it would be through, let's say, NVIDIA. They manufacture a new graphics chip within within the first few months. You have the first people getting it, or not even NVIDIA. Let's go into something more simple, like like a like Tesla has a new car, and yeah. you have the first few people switching to the car. They find it's great, um, although there could be more charging ports, but the saving you get on gas is, is, is great. It's up there. So they start telling their friends about it. They see the car. It's clean. It's nice. It has good service. There's a lot of retailing shops for support. The, the company is giving a lot more initiatives and they're creating more charging stations and slowly by slowly you're having this change of you're having more and more consumers, more revenue is being made from, by the company mm-hmm. and, and you know this is becoming more mainstream. Mm-hmm. That being said, you know, as, as Tesla does continue to grow, as this technology is, is being made, there are going to be potential competitors that are going to arise where they take Tesla's business model and say, "Ha, huh, I can do this better. I have something that is in this business model or in this product that I'm going to change a little bit, yeah. not going to infringe patents based on what Tesla has, but I think I can make my own competitive edge and target my own niche for that and be a competitor to Tesla. Yeah. So then you yeah. have the devout for market share. The, the problem
1: is the problem with stuff like that, especially in that certain industry is one, I personally this is this is debatable, but I personally believe all the competition is years and years behind and not even close. But number two is coming at, coming up as a startup in that indus- industry. Let's say a a company like Lucid or a company like Ribby, and those are were smaller companies. It's a it's it's a very costly business and it's a very tough business to scale. That's why Tesla was so close to going out of business because it costs you know twenty or thirty billion dollars to scale up this business. And I personally think companies like Ford and GM and Toyota, I don't think they're even close. I think I think Tesla's data and Tesla's technology is is years ahead.
2: So I, don't yeah, see- I mean it's funny it's funny that you mentioned these smaller companies like ford gm and and and, and uh, lucid and and you know, Rivian, but mm-hmm. uh, I was actually looking at this uh, actually a couple hours ago. Um, that I saw an article that said that general, uh, GM has this, uh, potential by 2030 to control more of a market share than Tesla because of how, how they're making their cars, how cheap it is. And because they have this reputation that, you know, there are this big car manufacturer board mm-hmm. can be the same way, you know, these other used to be mainstream car, uh, manufacturers when you know when they go into the electric vehicle industry and they they make their own version of, of the electric vehicle mm-hmm. that all of a sudden Tesla loses its magical appeal that makes them unique in the market even though they are the first <laughs> pioneer into the EV market and making it all the R&D you have these other people that these other com- companies that Simply just know how to get the consumers' attention because they have been the but image. That, that's Tesla. Yeah, Tesla, tone, Tesla. Tesla does a better job of that, though. They do a better okay, job. Okay. They, well, do, they do the better job because they're the only mainstream EV car maker out there. But when the EV, when the EV technology does become mainstream and so easy accessible and cheap to produce, mm-hmm. who do you think is going to be the biggest Tesla product? by far? <laughs> okay, Best but say, but charging.
0: say now. Say now on the on a, you go on a car lot. it's a Tesla. You usually just an electric car. It's just a Tesla. Now you're going there. It's a Tesla. It's a new BMW. It's okay, new- but we've been, but we've, that, that's not, that's, this isn't new news though. We had this discussion two
1: years ago on the podcast because it was new and in 2020, it was new. That's when these companies announced it. So we're, we're three years in now. Like this is like, it's not a new thing that, that Ford made an electric vehicle so the customers they have options right now everybody is the 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 people shopping for cars are aware that they have multiple different companies to choose from
2: now that being said what will constitute the rise or rather the return of gm ford and these other mainstream companies it's one tesla is one of those car brands it's not considered the the best budgeted car if you're yeah, not thinking yeah. about the, the break even point of the gas and, and and the charging forget that for now but you know i think the starting price to get a tesla is between 40 to fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, depending on the model you get and depending where you get it um mm-hmm. uh, you know so so there are cars out there like nissan from from uh from ford from gm that you can buy for less than ten thousand dollars depending on who you get it from in the year mm-hmm. so you know as as these budgeted cars do make a model an EV that that does cost that much, who do you think the 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 forty to fifty percent of the consumers are going to go to? I they think they're going like to get I electric
0: think- Honda for twenty five thousand. That's what they're going to go to. <laughs> okay, exactly. well,
1: I don't know. Exactly. First, okay, number one, first of all, I think Tesla is going to come out with a twenty five thousand dollar option. They have and to. number. Number two is I think the competitors, their best chance at getting the other customers are going to be people who don't like Elon Musk. That's the, that's going to be their best chance.
2: Well, but it's you, the people
0: that just buy Toyota brand cars or just well, whatever cars already.
2: How the, the leader in the company is seeing the public can make a small change, but I, I don't think it'll be so significant. I think what will also Without. be significant is if I the,
1: I agree with ninety nine point nine percent of companies, but I think that point zero one percent is Tesla because that company has somebody running it that everybody knows. Okay, everyone knows he's the richest guy on the planet, so he is much more popular. Second than the richest
2: guy now. He's he's not second. Whatever,
1: whatever. Okay, he'll be back.
2: He'll be back <laughs> well, up there. I'm <laughs> the number one, baby. I'm LVMH one. fashion. <laughs> but uh, you know what? 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 GM and, and Ford actually have that Tesla does not have as well right now is they do have deals with these other companies like hertz like enterprise like like these car rental companies Tesla that are already also has that. Tesla already has that not as much as as ford and gm mainly because they don't have that deal with them there. but you know yeah, as, right, as, they, as they did, that
1: also but no i remember this a little over a year ago hertz and tesla did a deal for i want to say a hundred thousand vehicles so there, there is that that is out there so it's growing in other words
2: it it, it will take time but it's it's one of those things that are going to take this small adjustment period slowly by slowly by slowly
1: i think i think the the big thing is okay the the pros of tesla is one it has the reputation whether it does it or not it has the reputation Um, of being good for the good for the environment okay what you could that's that's debatable um but it has the reputation at least number two is it's a luxury vehicle people they look at it like a, a spaceship or a fancy toy almost the con of it though is how you said it's expensive. So I think that's the biggest thing they're battling right now to get to a maturity stage or mass adoption stage. That I think how you said that's that's probably their only obstacle. Only obstacle is getting down to like a $25,000 vehicle, then that will
0: that will change the game. That's, that's going to be the design is nice. That's another mm-hmm. thing that we got factor in, the design of the car, how the car looks. That's I think,
1: I think Tesla is a beautiful looking car. I've heard some people say the complete opposite, but I think there's a lot of people
0: that would agree with me. I think it depends on the model. I think the model S like the, what's that? The sedan. I think that one looks nice, but the SUV, uh, not for me personally.
1: I, okay. Now I will say that the cyber truck, I'm not a huge fan of. I think that's one of the weirdest. Oh
0: yeah. That's an yeah, ugly too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think that we, you know, any entrepreneur especially elon musk um he had this vision to to make ev cars mainstream and he's he's really focusing on, on shifting the industry in a direction where everyone can use you know he has his own ideals of, of improving our technology wherever possible and that's why he created paypal in the beginning that's why he made spacex he's trying to advance us you know neural link uh, yeah. company. um So he's, he's really capitalizing on, 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 what can drive us forward. And you're going to have these, these other companies out there, like the Ford, the GM that are already established out there since the times of, of what Rockefeller did and finding oil. Right. Uh,
1: they're not, they're not trying to push push the technology. Like somebody like Elon Musk.
2: Exactly. But they're, they're solely in it for, for the business, you know, their time I hate to say this was, was in the past, but you know, they still do have the potential to come back as an automated manufacturer. It's a big pioneer in that, in the market, even in, in EV market.
1: Well, and, and yeah, I mean, there's one thing to say, okay, they need to catch up as far as terms of EV, but that's not to say that they're like, you know, they're still a dominant business out there. Um, but something, but something you just said, me and my friends talk about this all the time and that's companies like Ford or GM or just any of these big corporations do they, is, is there a possibility they go out of business or because what you see is you see governments back and they backstop when these companies are about to go out of business. So I don't, re- I don't know that's even possible really for Ford to go out of business because-
2: Ford did enter a period where they did foresee bankruptcy. Um, I think it was a couple, two or three years ago. Okay. Um, yeah. About five they years did, ago. they did get a subsidy from, from the government. Yeah, uh, that, that was able to put them back on track. But you know, as, as these companies are existing and playing catch up, Tesla has that opportunity to keep on moving forward while these guys are catching up. So, you know, a whole change in strategy needs to be made. Otherwise, they're always going to be those secondhand producers that are just making mass productions to market through that, that, that 20, 40, 50%, however much of the market share they can actually get. But they're never going to get more than, than 60, 80% that's always going to be controlled by Tesla because you're going to have these people that are going to want the bleeding edge of the technology. Mm-hmm. And that being said, you're also going to have that 5% of the market share that Tesla is never going to be able to get because, you know, there, there are people out there that simply just do not agree with Tesla's ideals with, mm-hmm. with the leadership. That's simply like these other smaller companies, like Lucid Motors, like Neo, like, 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 you know, et cetera, all these other ones. But, and uh, it's a whole
1: other, it's a whole other thing. Like we mentioned this in part one, but, when when uh, governments or politics comes into place and they say okay we're banning we're banning ICE vehicles that's a whole different story too that totally messes with the the normal supply and demand that would be there if there's laws in place like that yeah so yeah.
2: we will see but I think this is a good a good segue to to back into entrepreneurship um, of how you know anyone starting a company they they need to really look at the company as as an extension of themselves um i i tell everyone a lot of people that ask me questions especially now that they hear that i'm doing my own startup is is you need to you need to find something that that you're willing to really work on that you're committed to and and Mm -hmm. see the development and raise it like your own child essentially
0: i know Mm -hmm. that does sound
2: cliche but but you really need to be on top of it research your competition research your 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 market of who you're selling to Mm -hmm. um but do you guys want to talk a little bit about entrepreneurship yeah absolutely
0: yeah uh, i actually had a question too um so obviously just with life in general but even with entrepreneurship there's going to be like some hard times rough moments how do Mm -hmm. you exactly like try and get past those rough moments moments and like just just trying to keep going like that
2: yeah so that's a really good question josh and i'll actually come back to this in a little bit uh but before we touch upon you know, how how an entrepreneur can really push through these boundaries and where like, they hit walls. Um, I recommend every entrepreneur should first create a list. And you can call this my my personal list. I recommend, you know, to anyone watching this video, to anyone aspiring to be an entrepreneur, but just hear me out. It's a 10-figure uh, list. And uh, it starts with, first, you need to find your own ideals. What matters to you? What do you stand for? What are you know what what's your what's your goal? Second thing is you need to create your own personal brand and live by it. So what is your personal brand? Is it arriving to meetings on time? Is it helping out others wherever you can? Is is it uh, is it dressing up nicely to every meeting? Is it being very social? You know all these other things these these, these rhythmic patterns that define who you are that becomes your personal brand and how others see you. Number three make connections wherever possible you need to get out there and network 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 wherever possible um, and then once you have a strong background of people then you need to filter out who can really help you who can support you in your idea and aid you in your journey this doesn't just have to be in entrepreneurship this could be in life and personal in general but just keep in mind that your 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 network is your net worth essentially mm-hmm. number four you have to explore as much as you possibly can. You can't just stay in in your basement, in your room all day. You need to get out there, you need to travel, you need to see places with your own eyes and experience them. This actually comes to mind when uh, I I am quite a traveler. I've traveled a lot throughout Europe and Asia um, and all over the United States and North America. And I would not have had the idea of where to start my own company if I had not had the opportunity to see these places in real time rather than just hearing what is is given on social media Mm -hmm. Uh, friends tell me you know you have to see it you have to get out there and see it yourself Mm -hmm. number five you need to set time for yourself when things get busy it can really become tough and you know this becomes a necessity you need to find the fine line between what is uh when you work when you relax um and and whether it be through meditation exercise having the proper diet you know creativity whatever you need to do do it Um, but number six is kind of a continuation of the number five is try to train yourself over time to see if how much time is needed to set aside in, in relaxing to recharge your batteries and see if you can slowly by slowly train yourself to make that more time efficient so relax efficiently as in try to condense the time you need to relax if you if you need to start out working and you dedicate 10 hours to yourself two hours goes into um relaxing whether it be through arts and crafts through through exercise through you know anything to distress and eight hours goes into sleep how can you depress uh, decompress that time to seven hours of sleep and one hour of relaxing you know so that way Mm -hmm. you can create more time into working Mm -hmm. when you do have your you know these six things into place then you can start moving into your actual business idea so you know the seventh thing on the list is creating the idea that is an extension of your own passions this goes upon that first point of finding your ideals and what matters to you and what you stand for the idea should be an extension of what you stand for um for me for example it's problem solving and making lives more efficient and easy, hence why i came up with the drone delivery system mm-hmm. um, but number eight then becomes research 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 you need to use those connections that you made if if your network is your net worth leverage that network to your advantage um, try to figure out try to find you know keep your eyes open read all the news the same thing happens when you're first investing into the stock market you need to watch all the news read all the articles and especially in the companies that you trust you need to know everything and not just everything with your company you need to also read what can affect your company what could be a potential disaster or an opportunity for your company later number eight or sorry number nine <laughs> ask yourself do you really want to do this what will happen if your idea becomes super successful what is the next step and this kind of goes into your question josh of what do you do when when you hit that brick wall so first you need to ask yourself why did you even start in the first place what am i going to get out of this how am i going to help the people around me what is it going to mean if i actually do do this there is and this and this also goes into the final point of my list but that is to make the first move a lot of people have this issue where they don't know where to start and sometimes that's that's usually the case actually with a lot of people um but as you as you do make the first few steps and even though the path may not seem clear as you do make those first few steps, the path done then becomes increasingly clearer and clearer. because maybe you'll do something, maybe you'll, maybe it won't be to how you imagined it. Maybe it'll be a failure, but it'll teach you yeah. how to pivot in the future to get over that wall. Mm-hmm. So when an entrepreneur does become stressed out and they think that everything is going to come failing and crashing really leverage your experience. And see what you can take out of that to move forward for next time. But that is just uh, the list I, I have for entrepreneurs in general. I have a secondary list as well. So you do have your list, but this one's actually much quicker.
1: Um,
2: no, that was that was a
1: that was a that was a great list. You had a lot. You had you hit all the important things there. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: that was a great list.
1: Yeah. I okay. There's a couple things I want to go back to talk about. Um, and there's a couple things I want to ask you. One of the things I want to ask you is about when you talked about traveling and starting your own business, did you, did that have anything to do with the business, with the specific business idea you started? Did you see anything out while you were in another country or something that inspired you?
2: Yeah. So this traveling point actually goes into long lines of keeping an open mind. Um, an example of this was when I went to LA and I first met you, I, you know, that was very spontaneous and then here (laughs) I am on this podcast today. But, no, I went there on a family vacation and um, I, I saw mm-hmm. LA for for what it was. Um, I, I even decided to do a, a year of school in San Francisco last year uh, mm-hmm. to experience, because I heard a lot about San Francisco and California, it being a potential place for where I could start my idea. And after traveling to these places, whether it be through spontaneous, whether it be through doing something, I was able to learn where would be the best place to to start my idea. Uh, because you know, when you're going through the research process of filtering where would be the best grounds to, to really grow this idea. Um, you, you need to see who who are going to be the best sort of people to get the idea up and running. Are you going to be able to get funding accessibly? Are your investors are going to be close by or your other stakeholders going to be close by? Mm-hmm. Um, you know learning the key players in the industry that that is around your industry and who are the big key players in that area is also gonna be key so yeah, keeping an open mind being spontaneous that's a big thing so how come okay where where are the other drone
1: players at how come there isn't a popular drone company out there right now
2: There, the popular drone companies are are very small companies the you know they in Canada they have like like drone U Canada um very it's ontario-based uh very small but another one would be i guess would be amazon based in washington uh but they are all over they're over globally so Mm -hmm. you know headquarters headquarters are is something that is if it's gonna be the first location um i chose i personally chose la because it's there's a lot of regulation with the faa um, of having of being able to pilot drones off certain altitude L.A., for the most part, not the downtown area, is a large suburb. With you know, the well, houses are not too, too high up in the sky. So that makes it um, a very easy place to fly drones, provided the drones can fly in a certain pathway that is avoid large crowds of, of areas. And you don't have to deal with snow from the sky. <laughs> Additionally, yes, the, the, the weather in, in Southern California is very forgiving, um, especially for, for drones. But that being said, in Miami, where it rains all the time for an entire season, you know, that's also gonna be an issue and a liability to work out. Well, the, in the interesting thing is I, I've been in Florida now I've been in Florida
1: now for four weeks. It's only rained one or two days I was here. That's crazy. So, man. Yeah. It's like it's every crazy.
0: time I'm in Florida it rains for like nonstop for like 20 minutes and it just stops.
1: Yeah I know. Right. I've I've seen that before too.
2: It's like a monsoon um,
0: for like a good thirty minutes. Okay but the is,
2: important thing is is that when you do have this first place is it's about starting and paving the path for the future. If you consider all these different points, where's my business going to be in the next year, two years, while that is good to keep in the back of your head, you need to start in the first month. How, if you're in the pre-seed stages, which is where I'm currently at, you need to focus on the launch itself. What's going to happen in the launch. And then you can start focusing on how is the cash flow going to be made? How is the business going to stay afloat? No. Okay,
1: what, I, I, what what stage are you at right now as far as pre-seed stage? So
2: pre-seed. this is this is past FFF, um, engaging into series A funding. Hmm.
1: Have you have you have you gone to any like um there's there's different types of events like like um What's the word like? Um, whether it's a whether it's a funding event where you you like a like a pitch a pitch competition. Um, I've done those before. Um, there's a couple different ones where you can you either network or you you pitch your idea to try to get funding or you get like grants and sponsors. Have you tried any of that stuff?
2: Um, yes. Just give me one second. Sorry. So yes, actually, uh, my institution uh, does offer an accelerator, but because the theme this year is not up to the standards of what my idea is centered around, it's impossible to really progress into that competition. But I am mm-hmm. looking at other accelerators like Y Combinator, if you've ever heard of it. It's a national competition uh, where you can pitch your idea and network with other investors and entrepreneurs alike. So mm-hmm. yes, uh, you know, but it's it's a it's a it's a process that can Backpack you out of the, the pre-seed stage. A lot of people they go into crowdfunding, they go into angels, um, you know, mm-hmm. they, they get funding from from their family. But this is kind of like this accelerator is a way to skip that step and go right into the series ABC funding.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, and one of the other things
2: that one of the other things that stuck out to me
1: on your list was when you were talking about um, extending the people you know and your network and your connections and all that stuff. I read a quote recently that said your network times the value you can provide will equal the opportunities that are available to you.
2: I'm sorry. Could you repeat that?
1: Yeah. The, the quote the quote said, the value you can provide times the number of people,
2: you know, equals the amount of opportunities you have. I think that you should take that with a grain of salt because um you know it's never a numbers game i i think that if you if any anytime you think your your network your your, your network is a numbers game mm-hmm. then you really need to reevaluate you know really your intentions of going into like a networking event or or meeting people where you can because there can be people out there for example that could actually give you opportunities mm-hmm. that could serve as something that could bring you lower to what you're aspiring to be, you're right. You're right. When you get mixed into the wrong crowd. Your 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 net worth. So you think.
1: Increase. So you think. You think quality is is more important to look out for than than quantity
2: in this. Case. I think quality quality is definitely much more important than than who you network.
1: But to. W- but would you also say that increasing the quantity is also gonna? You don't think that increasing the quantity is going to increase the quality? It's going to increase your chances of meeting more of the people that will help you.
2: Yes. Yes. That that is true. You can you can definitely if you see potential that this person has connections. Um, one first off, I say that everyone should be a good person and, and just be friendly wherever they possibly can, and, and you know extend you know having that the, those those good intentions with everyone you meet, no matter who it is. Even if you're in an elevator with someone completely random, you know I always recommend uh, you know, it's just something to live by. It's an ideal, mm-hmm. but yes, uh, it, it, it's you only have a finite amount of time. So it's up to you to choose where to spend that time and and how much time you should spend with certain people to, you know, to really get the most out of it. Are they strictly just your friend? Are they strictly just a business partner? Um, you know, assigning them to these groups in your head, I think is what people do unconsciously. Um, and, and then slowly by slowly they, they kind of, depending on, on what they need, if they're just relaxing and having a good time, they'll go to their friends. Um, if they're needing something in the same industry or ideas for brainstorming, then they're going to go to these other people that are in their industry. If they're going to go to to work on projects, they're going to go to their colleagues or their team, you know, the list goes on Mm -hmm. and maybe you walk into like a shopping mall and you make a small talk with someone in an elevator. And you know, before you know it, you guys become closer and then the guy says that, or woman says that uh they know someone that could help you so then that becomes a quick connection you can make just by uh connecting with the person and 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 so you know you get you're able to leverage your skills and your communication skills to get someone yeah even right yeah yeah but i think that um you know as i said an analogy i used earlier was uh treating your company like a child but. You know, I like to also use another analogy when you're starting a company is treat it like Have you ever played the game pirate and, you know, you have your own pirate ship. Oh, yeah. yeah. You first need to build your own pirate ship. Right. You need to make sure the hull is strong. You can't make sure it sinks if off of a bad tide. Once you make your ship or build your ship, you need to gather the right crew. Who is going to be able to go where on the ship? You need someone that's a navigator or at least if you're the navigator, then that's fine too. But you need someone that's skilled to repair the sails if something goes wrong, repair the cracks in the wood if something goes wrong, um, who can, who has survival skills if you guys go on an island. Then uh, when, you, when you do have, uh, you need to be able to learn how to navigate a storm. Uh, you need to have sight of your destination. And you also need to consider what's, if you're gonna stop on islands along the way, and what would you do if you were to find like a treasure map somewhere on, on your journey. And that takes, is this your secondary list? This isn't my, no, my secondary list, um, (laughs) is is more formal on, on when you actually have an idea. And this is actually, uh, stuff I, I I do go over when, when I have someone that asks me for more logistics. Um, I'm happy to share that as well. Um, it goes into, uh, R and D and funding and sales and market strategy, but you know, we can go into that too, if you want, but, this is just an analogy I came up with before this this uh, this podcast. So
1: one thing I was thinking of when you were reading off your your list too was like um, I'm not sure this will. Up, I don't know. I don't know if this can apply to every single business. But something that Warren Buffett and Steve Jobs talk about a lot. They both gave speeches on this before. Was you need to be very passionate and interested in what you're doing in your business and in your day to day life. You know, working for that business. So. I I like to follow that that principle too, but at the same time, do you feel like some businesses are not going to always be something that you're very passionate about?
2: Like, would you are you are you passionate about drones? So this is a multi-part question. Um, what Warren Buffett and Steve Jobs were saying about being passionate that comes from letting the business and the incentives be an extension of your own ideals. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, having your core, having your image made into the form of a business, Mm -hmm. is going to come a long way and it's going to be like that, that time flies when you're having fun, you're going to enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. That being said, there are going to be some entrepreneurs out there that are more serial entrepreneurs that go from business to business and you know, they're only doing it to, so once their business reaches a certain point, they're going to go through a merger acquisition and, and go to the next idea yeah if if that is if that is how they do it perhaps their ideals or their incentives behind the business is simply to either to problem solve to create an idea and manifest it in the form of a company do you do you
1: believe do you believe that you can be equally successful though whether you're going down the route of something you're passionate about or not passionate about i think
2: it's definitely possible um but again me, it really comes down to the individual person themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's similar to my father of how he he was always a finance guy. That's why he's trading options now, but you know he's found the opportunity to go into IT and electronics, and then ended up taking me into pharmaceuticals, and then now he's doing what he enjoys. Mm-hmm. But um, and me personally, when, when me you, personally go ahead, go ahead. Me personally, I came up with this idea from problem solving of how I can make the issue easier. There was a time in, uh, this was my junior year of high school where I had a debate case. And I remember I was working on my case the night before. I left my, my documents and everything on my desk. And I uh, was like, oh no, I have my case in an hour and I don't have any of my materials. Mm-hmm. So just imagine if, if my idea w- was made and I was thinking about combining existing technologies to, to get that process done. Long story short, my my mother had to send um, a driver to to send those documents. I was able <laughs> to get the case done, but you know, imagine how easy it would be if if you know, my idea manifested itself into the form of a company. How quickly yeah. that process would be, and how you know she wouldn't have had to call another driver to deliver those documents in person.
0: Yeah, uh, because I
2: know because I think it it almost
1: kind of goes back to a business is more so based off of. Problem solving or problem solving, the, value the value you can provide versus exactly. uh, versus the, the topic that you're passionate about. And what you said earlier too kind of goes with this. Let's say um, Steve Jobs, for example, like Apple's, their motto was think different, right? So that was the principle, the core principle he wanted to get across. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the product you're creating is what you're passionate about it kind of just means that you could take the principle that you're passionate about and put that into the product kind of like how apple makes laptops but their motto is think different
2: now this goes back into a couple points on my list sometimes you just need to start and the the destination you maybe you'll have a a small or a background looming image of where you want the destination to go Mm -hmm. but you know, the ladder of where you're climbing, the path is not always going to be visible. You know, you could take, it could take all sorts of turns. Maybe you'll have an idea originally in your head. And then when you start to actually execute it in person, it will come out to be completely different, which, which is the whole point of Steve jobs is innovate, 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 because you never know how the end product can end up being, but at the same time, you know, you should, you should have, as long as you do have your core values in place, um, then, then, you know, that's what really matters because that is what is appealing to your niche. That is why stakeholders are also investing into you. They're doing a background check. you know, They're doing an ethics check as well. And believe it or not, actually Louis Vuitton before LVMH, you know, became big, really big mainstream. They actually almost went out of business. I think, well, actually, no, I, I don't know if it was LV or if it was, uh, Burberry, Burberry but they nearly did go bankrupt, uh, because they were not sticking to their core values and what they were founded on. Hmm well okay i could we could keep, we could keep
1: going on entrepreneurship all night but josh how much time do you think we have left
0: i mean we can talk for as long as we want it's, it's up to y'all okay I, it's already over I can, now. I can
1: keep going on this all night one thing another thing that reminds me of steve jobs is he also claims that when you're coming out with a product let's say i think he said when he's coming out with the iphone that, because I used to, I remember I used to debate this with my, with my marketing professors in college, that we would have arguments. I would have arguments with them over this because I know Steve Jobs would say something and they would say the opposite. It'd make me mad. Steve Jobs would say, you don't need to identify your target market or you don't need to claim their demographics or whatever it is. He's saying that with the iPhone, he created his own market for the iPhone, which he kind of did. And I believe, I, I think Elon Musk kind of did the same thing too. So, how do you feel about that? How important is identifying a target market and proving that you have people that will buy your product?
2: I think it really depends on what you're trying to propose to the market. So um, if you are creating a platform, a disruptive platform like Airbnb or mm-hmm. if you are creating like how my idea is drone delivery or you know an iPhone that combines all the at the time, you know, it combined, browsing the internet, text messaging, phone calls, uh, using, I don't know, maps, GPS, cameras, et cetera, into one thing, then slowly by slowly, you know, you are creating a platform that has the opportunity to grow and grow and grow and grow, provided it goes through that technology adoption cycle that we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but slowly by slowly, as the idea then becomes a small company, gets more funding, goes through the whole cycle, it then gets starts get more funding, more people are on board. As revenue grows up, the possibilities and R and D also go up, mm-hmm. and finally, you, then you have this company that is valued billions and billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Let's say
1: let's say you have a theory that you believe if you create this product or service that it will provide value to people and it will make their lives easier. But the majority of people that you're talking to, whether it's business partners or whoever you're affiliating with. They're telling you there is no demand for that. People don't want that. People do not need that. And nobody's asking for that product. What do you What do you do in that situation? Yeah,
2: so there, it, it, there are some really pessimistic investors out there. And, and I personally have experienced this a lot. <laughs> um, a lot of these investors that I have actually encountered are very concerned about uh, litigations, uh, liabilities, uh, the possibility of, of, of uh, lower financial leverage and, and debt um so you know all these pessimists it really comes down to how well you can predict can your business stay afloat if you cannot make sales in a quarter or two mm-hmm. how can it how developed is a strategy how big how developed is the business plan what are the chances and data you have that ensure the success and the forecast of mm-hmm. the plan itself you know having all the logistics is is a big thing and then slowly by slowly you know, you are able to sway more and more investors, and you know some some investors are only going to invest in you. Like venture capitalists, for example, are a big abdicator of this, where they want to see some sort of of trace and history and existence in the market. So you already need to be established to get that big buck funding, but you know you, you do need to start some if if you want to be big and let's say you require millions and millions of dollars, you need to scale your company back to, to the thousands range, start small there and show the potential, and the, the growth percentages that can be appealing to these bigger investors. Yeah. Right. What you did say, that, that was
0: actually one of my questions too, but you already answered is um, dealing with different investors that, you know, they're kind of like on their friends like, oh, do I want to give my money to this person? Because, you know, we're asking people for how much, how much, whatever money. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of times they will say no, say yes, things like that. So it's good. A lot of these oh.
2: investors. Wait, Sorry. let
1: me let me ask you real quick. Let me ask you real quick. Do you have a pitch deck for your company?
2: Um, you mean like an actual pitch, like like a slideshow?
1: Like a slideshow showing, yeah, like how it works and what, like your plan is within, like what's the model of whatever, you know, how you're gonna sell it or the profit margins or whatever.
2: I do. I do. Can
1: I can I see it
2: after this video? I can definitely send it to you. Yes. Okay. Awesome, Nico.
0: <laughs> we need to get them on that. Um, are you are I you trying to buy in? in? <laughs> Maybe I might be.
2: Yeah, actually, that was I was gonna mention one more thing um, regarding Josh's point and Nico. If you're interested, then uh, we can we can sort out the terms and conditions. But a lot of investors they they do come up with what's called a term sheet. Uh, you know how shares are handled, how the equities is handled, how the payout is gonna look like, um, how M and A is gonna look like. Uh, so you know if some and I'm sure you guys, if you guys watch Shark Tank, you might be familiar with this as well but there are certain terms that if an investor is not too keen in an idea, they're going to want much more uh, enticing and, and persuasive terms in that company. Mm-hmm. There was a joke on Shark Tank where one investor was asking for like 80% of equity of the company, even though he knew like the company would never take off. He was offering a $10 million, 80% equity. Yeah. Um, Cause he knew he was going to get his money back and maybe he can get like a little bit of return on that after, you know, the company is sold. Yeah. Uh, but you know, to another thing, especially entrepreneurs are doing, especially in the funding stages, they, they need to have the experience. And this only happens company to company, um, dealing with these investors and negotiating the right deals, because if you do make the wrong decision and give the wrong amount of equity or make the wrong deal, the wrong term and condition with the wrong person, it can really bite you back in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good point. But Josh, um,
0: I, Josh I didn't want to interrupt you. What you what were you trying to say earlier? I don't I don't know, but let's keep going. <laughs> but no, um, back on that point, how do you like figure out like how, how you're just saying how how do you decipher like which is a good deal or what's a bad deal? Things like that.
2: Yeah, I mean it comes back, it comes down to calculating the, the, in finance, we use the net present value. Um, For conducting, you know, how much how much funding first is needed? Can we get that? Can we get that? Let's say I, I need a million dollars to make my idea happen, right? Hmm. Who is going to offer me a million dollars? What are the terms going to be? What do these people say about the liquidity and the opportunity in my company? What do they say about the ethics, sustainability portion of my company? What do they say about the liabilities and litigations? Um, you know, it comes down to the terms everyone is doing how are they going to dilute shares um you know know, who what is the conditions for the board of directors uh nico i see that you raised a hand
1: (laughs) (laughs) i I wanted to ask you um wait now i forgot my question (laughs) um oh i know i wanted to ask you okay how do you how do you balance looking for an investment on a company that like do you think that you need to make money first to show the, the model and then try to get investments? Or can you say we, we have $0 of revenue, but we're still looking for investors? Though,
2: Are you now just want to expand on your question? Are you asking if the entrepreneur themselves, you know, straight out of school like me, um, let's say my net worth was zero. And uh, you know, a lot of students are like this, they come out of school, they actually come out in debt, negative yeah. net worth.
0: Um, Negative, yeah. But they have an
2: idea that they want to start. And are you asking that should the investor invest in the person or if the cash flow of the company is zero?
1: I'm talking about the the business, not not the entrepreneur.
2: Yeah. So yeah, this is this is. Uh, it really depends on the investor. Now. Or what? What would you do?
1: In, what would you do in either situation? So, like, would
0: you invest in a the
2: company? There are different investors or depending on what your valuation is at. So mm-hmm. if your valuation is $0 and let's say you don't need too too much money to start, you can actually take the money out. Let's say let's say the startup cost was only like $50,000. Mm-hmm. You could actually ta- you could actually take that out on leverage. If you have a good enough pitch, you can leverage friends, family and fools. Yeah. Fools uh, meaning like, you know, people that just blindly believe your idea. Generally, they they lose out. Uh, some fools are actually smart, and they actually make a big profit. Um, let's say you need a uh, hundred thousand dollars, and you you can go to an angel investor, you can go to crowdfunding, you could go to an accelerator like Y Combinator. Mm-hmm. Let's say you need ten million dollars, though, and and, the, and you know the idea is 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 a bit more difficult to implement. That's when you go into a venture capitalist, um, because. Oh. If, if, at the end of the at the end of the day, if you do want to be if you do want to go public, and I'll, I'll go into this in a bit, um, you know, you do need to have some sort of momentum, track record, forecasting, and just a really polished up business plan and team, and background uh, to make it appealing to these investors. Because these investors, they are investing into your idea, they're investing into the plan and how the logistics and the operations and how it's executed the people as well and the opportunities for growth. So if they will, see will this- they
1: invest, will they invest in that idea though? If it's strictly just an idea, like there's a huge difference between an idea with $0 of revenue and a company that is at a beginning stages that makes a hundred thousand dollars a year.
2: Generally, generally no. Um,
0: What'd you, you say, know? Josh? I said that might also depend
2: on the investor though too. Yeah. Generally, if, if an idea is just an idea and, you know, there's nothing to go off of it, um, you know, if, if it's not even in the formal business plan. Well, know, let,
1: let's say it's a let's say not just I don't mean like a generic, just an idea. I mean, like, let's say it's in the it's just a, it's just a PowerPoint. Like, ah, it, so it has a valuation of zero. Not it, one, it, it doesn't necessarily have to have a valuation of zero. Like, let's say the let's say they, they made a PowerPoint. They're showing you how they're going to make money and all this stuff and how the profit how the profits are gonna come in, but they just actually haven't executed. Like maybe they're saying we need a million dollars to start.
2: It depends on the investor then, because some investors they will give you, um if if provided you can meet the right terms with them, they will give you some sort of funding. Um yeah. you know specifically this is what like a big a big 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 uh pioneer of this is is crowdfunding, is uh is angel investors and and mm-hmm. using friends and family and mm-hmm. fools of course but uh yeah well okay here's here's a problem though this is the problem and this is
1: increasingly more dramatic in these last 10 years or so um both with private companies and going into public companies too the companies that need those big upfront investments and they say we're gonna we need um let's say we're gonna be profitable in five years from now or 10 years from now you know sometimes it's even longer what happens when those VC firms just keep throwing millions and millions or a hundred million dollars plus into these companies that never report a profit?
2: Yeah, so the there is a problem where the company can become overvalued. And conversely, this actually happens a lot in fintech startups mm-hmm. where you know they, they get thrown all all this cash and they're they get considered a unicorn, the valuation goes past a billion dollars. And then before you know it, all the investment just you know just pops. Mm-hmm. So moving with the, the investor needs to do their own research, moving, seeing where the idea can be implemented and their own forecasts of how successful the idea can be based off their team, the business plan, how the execution is gonna be. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, the the startup owner can also seek to get a loan from a bank. And if if they, the bank is always going to have this, this maturity date and interest charged to it, so they will make their money back unless the person defaults on their loan, mm-hmm. then you know, that will impact their credit. That will impact uh, their, their FICO, their uh, their terms with the bank, their relationship with, with these investors. Um, another thing is if if their credit score is through the roof or if it's not good, Investors will see this and uh, you know, that will make the person very unlikely to get some kind of funding. Mm -hmm. So the way
1: way I feel about this though, is some companies like DoorDash, Uber, um, Snowflake, uh, Twilio, some of these companies get $10 billion valuations, $20 billion valuations, but they still can't report a profit. Like Uber, Uber Uber did like $9 billion of revenue and they had $0 of net income. So I feel like if you're the, if you're that big of a company, you, you're already scaled. You already got a billion dollars of of funding over the course of however many years, and you still can't come out with a profit. That means you shouldn't be a business then. If you if you're if you can do <laughs> if you if you do eight billion dollars of revenue and you don't make a single dollar of profit, that means you should not be in business.
2: I I see what you are trying to say, but you know, there are times, especially during macroeconomic failure, recessions where a company simply cannot make profit because they're too busy paying off their debt. Yeah, Uh, maybe they're getting more financing. Their liabilities are going up like crazy, Um, but they can still generate cash by selling off the assets if they have some sort of liquidity in their company. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is generally used to to avoid, you know, to pay off their shareholders, to to maintain, uh, proper leverage in the market. Um, you know, there, there are many ways that in a chief financial officer's perspective where they can adjust some of the financials to, to make these deals. And this also happens in large scale investments, like buying a new factory, like putting in a lot of money into R and D provided that there is potential money, um, and and payables in there. Um, then, you know, investors will still invest.
1: Yeah. And I I,
2: see the money going in the right place.
1: And I I understand it from the viewpoint of let's say you're an established company who you put, you've shown years of profitability, but then one year you have, you're paying back debt or you're investing in a new facility and your, your free cash flow or your net income is negative. That is totally understandable, but it's not, if you've never reached profitability before and you've been, you've been losing money for two decades, I don't see how that's a good, a good business model.
2: No, then then in that case, then the, the earnings, if if the company was public, then the earnings per share would go down drastically, and that once overvalued company would slowly, by slowly, lose its place in the market and end up. Yeah, running.
1: but the the problem with that though is even with their even with negative net income, negative EPS, the valuations I've seen valuations go to forty billion dollars, fifty billion dollars in the market with our
2: overinflated companies. Yeah, they're overinflated. So they, don't don't they don't have growth uh, potential. And if you look at the relative strength index of these companies, it's going to be very, very low. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry, it's going to be very, very overvalued. So yeah, that's when the bubble starts popping.
1: Right, and and that was terrible buy. Right, and that was when the stock market was hot and money was cheap and you know things were flowing a lot nicer. Today, now with interest rates up and stuff, now you really see all these bubbles starting to pop, and these companies definitely can't afford the debt that they had two years ago or three years ago. So it's even worse. So I don't know. I just, I think there's an issue there with just throwing. Not
2: only not only will they not be able to afford the debt, but they will actually incur even more debt because they, yeah. if they were to take out, you know, let's say they don't have the cash on hand to to pay off some of their, their debt or to fund some of their projects, then they're going to need to take out some more loans. And if mm-hmm. they do that, the interest expense that they're incurring is going to be going up like crazy with higher interest rates. Yeah. So their, their debt to equity is going to go up immensely. So one that looks very unattractive to shareholders, Mm -hmm. earnings per share and stock price are going to go down like crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shareholders will have the, you know, if they are taking out loans to pay off dividends, if they are giving out dividends, then these are all indicators for at some point, if I was an investor in a company that was overvalued, I'm going to need to to, I'm going to have to get rid of that as soon as possible. Otherwise the stock, while it you know, goes up and down, up and down, the marketing can make uh, money, at some point, that company is just going to pop, go to zero, yep. and you lose all your money. That's what happened with Terra Luna. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> all right, let's let's look at um, Snowflake stock. This is a good example. In February, so in a, about one year ago, this stock was three hundred and eleven dollars. Today, the stock is one hundred. So honestly, that's that's not as bad as some of the other ones out there. But some of the stocks they fall seventy or eighty percent because. You know how you sell oh, things. Okay, that's that's a good that's a good example too. That's a good example too. I don't know if Carvana ever reported a. Were they ever profitable though? Yeah, I know Carvana is a huge drop too. Three hundred and sixty dollars to ten dollars today. But let's see. Let's see. Did they ever report it? Because that that's what the point I'm trying to get at is the companies that are purely surviving off of loans or funding or whatever it is, not they just keep doing that without any profits.
2: Let's see. Yeah. I mean, again, like with any company, if you need to have the right support in, um, and you need to have the right forecasts in to really take off, otherwise your bubble's going to pop and, and
1: yeah. So Carvana never Carvana never had profits either. So that means they got, no, they never, they, they never were profitable. They never reported a profitable year. So that means their, um, that means their valuation had to be, what is it? It's about $2 billion now at $10 a share. So that means what's 30, 36 times two is 72. So that means they were valued at $72 billion with $0 of profit. Jeez. How interesting or FTX is another FTX is another good example too.
2: Yeah. But unfortunately, I'm actually nearing the limit of my time for tonight. Uh good. Okay. To, to see some other projects. Um, did you did you find a charger? Any last any last minute uh, comments though? Yeah. Did you
1: get a charger for your laptop? I did. <laughs> okay, good.
2: <laughs> my laptop is at 100 right now. So <laughs> okay. Good. I actually need to support them after this. All right. Well, I think we got a yeah. nice, uh, almost two and a, hours, two, two and a half two, hours.
1: Two and a half hours worth, two, two, worth two,
0: of. Uh, podcast to put out there yeah 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 that i will be editing so yeah Yeah. well nico
2: josh thank you so much for having me and uh you know at some point i'd love to do this again if you would have me
1: hey it was great having you you now hold the all-time record for the longest podcast on stock talk with josh and nico
0: thank you all for tuning (laughs) in for episode 45 of stock talk with josh and nico thank you all once again have a good one be safe nico you got any my final comments before we go. I would recommend
1: watching All American. Is that it? It's on. It's on Netflix.
0: All right, people. To greener, greener days ahead, everyone. No, Bye-bye.
1: I'm going to say to greater days ahead.
0: Okay, he says greener. I say greater. Bye bye.